very nice place, this Wesker. It's covered in like, like fur, moss, kind of. I couldn't describe it before because it also looks like it's ancient. Yeah, it looks like very old, like tree, like something from Lord of the Rings. Fairy stories contain many things besides elves and fays. They hold the seas, the sun, the moon, the sky, and the earth, and all things that are in it. Tree and bird, water and stone, wine and bread, and ourselves, mortal men, when we are enchanted. These are the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings that my good friend Finn just referenced. Looking out at the landscape, and looking in detail, not just cavalierly going, oh wow, isn't nature beautiful, but actually looking, focusing on the small details, the ancient trees, the silvery moss that drips down them, and the gargantuan iceberg of a rock that soars out of the ground and into the sky is enchanting. Our location that evokes this feeling of being in a fairy story and that causes the 14-year-old Middle-earth nerd in me to rear her head is a new one. As is customary, every week on the show, we go to a new location and tell stories about and inspired by that place. This week, that place is Suesca in Colombia. This episode will be divided into three parts to keep you anchored. Suesca itself, traveling with a group, first going it solo, and the great open countryside. You're listening to Wherever Island. I'm Andrea Alicia Peters. And let's just dive right into the first part, Sweska itself. Sweska's fame comes from its big rock. You might remember in the last episode from Medellin, I also visited a big rock. <laughs> but above it all, shoots out the big rock and the main attraction I'm here to see. Look, I promise this podcast is not going to pivot to geology. But with the amount I'm banging on about it, I could potentially be morphing into the infamously lame lecturer from the legendary show, Fresh Meat. Please tell me you remember it. Uh, seriously, was it okay? Too much on sedimentary. Do you want to go and get a drink? Uh, no. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit early, isn't it? So uh, you got my email and my Skype and everything. You guys take care. Oh, on Twitter, I'm Dan Dan Geology Man. Cool. I am not Andrea Andrea. Fan of stones from here to Eritrea, which is a rhyme I came up with because my name is very hard to rhyme with anything. Fun fact, in Spanish, it rhymes with the word fea, which means ugly. But in English, really, the only near rhymes are words like Eritrea. I tried my best to repeat, I am not Andrea Andrea, fan of stones from here to Eritrea. But if you'll let me get detail orientated for a moment, Guatape. Imagine it as this jutting rock skinny and tall and poking out of the earth like a giant finger. Whereas Sweska is more like the edge of a hardback book. It's long and rectangular and sits atop the flat ground surrounding it. Las Rocas de Sweska, or the rocks of Sweska, are however obviously much, much larger than a hardback book. In my whole time there, I never walked the full length of the rock. This long cliff of stone is about four kilometers long and in parts 200 meters high. For context, for those that don't understand metrics like me, that's about as long as the Hollywood Walk of Fame and it's about one and a half times as tall as the Great Pyramid of Giza. 
Okay, so what? Who cares? Who cares about any of this beyond me? Why is Sweska worth visiting? Because what makes another rock so special? Well, at this sandstone cliff, 80 years ago, the beginnings of rock climbing in Colombia were born. Good, James. Come on. Get it. Come on, come on, hold it. Hold it. Come on, James. Come on. Next to the rock lies an old, disused railway track covered in gravel. Pick any day to walk along it. Sunday, Monday, Thursday, in the hot midday sun or the freezing eight degree morning temperatures, and you'll hear these noises of climbers scaling this great wall. Many report a mysticism that emanates from Las Rocas de Suesca. The following is an extract from an article written by Carol Lunny for Climbing Magazine. Suesca was once the home of the Muisca's indigenous people. Suesca, in the Muisca indigenous language, translates as suica, or rock of the bird. The leaders of the Muiscas, the prominent indigenous group who first occupied the area between 5000 and 1000 BC, would gather in Suesca once a year to make peace and worship the gods. Like the Incas of Machu Picchu, the Muisca people paid tribute to the gods of the sun, the moon, the rain, and water. The Muiscas believed that the rock was a local god and they performed human sacrifices at the Virgin Crag, the most popular crag in the area. The Virgin Crag was an indigenous power place, a place of human sacrifice and worship of the gods, says Ricardo. The Muiscas painted the wall under the roof in many varied pictographs. In 1950, a bishop came and saw the pictographs and declared the site was full of evil spirits, Ricardo states. He had the wall painted white and the statue of the Virgin erected. The bishop was never seen again, but the statue and the white wall remain. Ricardo pauses and reaches for a smoke. Ghostly indigenous drumming can be heard from Campo Base some evenings, says Ricardo. The Muiscas are probably mad that their ritual site was desecrated. The rock, then, enamors us. There's something totally otherworldly about it. Whether or not you believe in the haunting spirits of the Muisca, there's no denying the feeling of being there. Perhaps it's the surrounding area, the tall ancient trees, the shimmering foliage, or the silvery moss that drips across the walls and wraps around every trunk and leaf in sight. Maybe it's the rock itself, the imposing grey wall with cuts and crevices that no simple human could ever hope to fully explore. But what of the town? What is the vibe like there? Well, I mean, let's just say it simply pales in comparison. We're walking through the town of Sueska at 6.50pm and believe it or not, there's nothing here. <laughs> Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> uh, although it's quite a nice, quite a nice stroll. 
Yeah. I like walking in the cold. It's not that. Whoa! The fast cars. So. Yeah. There's no pavement here, so we're just walking along the road and like a car just swerved past us an ambulance. <laughs> Nearly getting hit by several cars was actually the highlight of our nighttime stroll. The town, like most Colombian towns, has a square with a church from which all streets lead off. The centre is paved, but as the streets sprawl out from the main plaza, the roads switch from concrete to just flattened dirt. The town is so small that this can happen in the space of a two or five minute walk. Aside from the lawless nighttime, where cars speed and swerve about in the darkness, sans street lighting, very speed racer, very fast and furious, what is the village of Sweska actually like? Over breakfast, at a small diner with metal tables and decent coffee, we assessed the town. It's a bit basic. I feel like the town, that, like I said, is like made for the locals. Like, it's, it's not worth coming to, no, to visit. Coming, no. Right, like when I woke up this morning, though, like in the hostel, like in so the countryside, nice. <laughs> and, then you, and then you look through the window and there's people doing yoga. Oh, and there's a dog outside. The eggs were delicious. <laughs> Sorry, I had to I had to interject this part because in Colombia they have this special way to prepare them. It's called huevos pericos, which is scrambled eggs with onion and tomato and maybe other ingredients. I'm not 100% sure, but basically it's fluffy and flavorful and so, so good. And I can never make them the same way at home. Anyway, the town, as I said, is mainly built for the locals. It's humble with a few shops for everything you'd need. Pharmacies, supermarkets, banks, diners. Aside from that, the rest of the buildings here, they're just residences. People amble about slowly. The pace of life is more forgiving. During the day, at least. Yeah. Basically no street lights, so we're just like obvious green goes plodding along. Yeah. Now God they come fast. <laughs> Back to nighttime where we almost got hit by a big truck. Again. <laughs> There's a few bars and restaurants, but they're very um <laughs> Basic, yeah, rudimentary. They've almost all always got the same like metal tables and like built-in chairs, like in a canteen. So I think we're just gonna go back and have some <laughs> five-minute ramen and watch a film. Hiding out in our hostel to watch Jumanji rather than risking being splattered by a four by four basically sums up my feelings towards the town of Sweska. Frankly, I'd rather leave it than love it. But we weren't in Sweska for its humble village. We were here for the climbing. So, throughout this episode, you've been hearing glimpses of a male voice. Suffice to say, that is not my alter ego, but my good friend Finley, who is also currently based out of Colombia. Finley 
is many things. He is very tall, very ginger, and also very obsessed with rock climbing and bouldering. Bouldering, by the way, for those not in the know, is just rock climbing without ropes, but you only go a little bit high up so that if you fall, you're basically fine. Anyway, we'd come all the way to the countryside of Kundinamaka for a taste of this famed rock. In, so- in front of it, you've got this cheesy rock with loads of holes in it, and then the trees, like very old, very sort of wise as trees. Uh, very verdant is the word. Just, uh, and Andrea is climbing and she is ascending uh, and she's nearly there. Let's hope she doesn't fall. <laughs> she, yep, yeah, that's it. Uh, I think if you just, I think you got a nice height to jump. It's not too high. Mosquitoes are killing me. They're swearing on, on, on singing. That was fun. Oh my god, I have such an adrenaline rush. I'm like, whoa! He helps so much though. This is me post-scaling about 50 metres up the wall. Our coach had guided me up, or should I say motivationally heckled me. He certainly didn't go easy on me. And here he's just repeating that when you're climbing... You should lead with your legs rather than clutch the rock in a panic, digging your talons into the sedimentary out of fear and panic, as I'm quite prone to do. Ya encuentras buenos agarres, subes el pie y ya pasa la barriga y ya puedes sí. sientes que el, el cuerpo está más tranquilo, ¿eh? Vamos, Finley, with this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was so sick. I'm buzzing. Nice. I'm proud. That was so good. I had no idea I was going to the top. Is it higher? Than what? Has he moved it higher? Uh... Was it always that high? I'm totally, totally off my face with excitement on a high of a different, insufferable level that repeated every single time I went near that big wall. But was this buzz worsened by travelling in a group? Given the notoriously solo traveller status that I have, how did I feel about sharing every moment? Let's go, Finlay! Part two, traveling with a group versus going at solo. In university, I had a radio show where I would interview other people, other students on topics that mattered to them. Should I try not to move around? I think I tend to no one listens to student radio. Okay. <laughs> and one week I interviewed my friend about the topic of travel. I had a 
friend that was in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago with another <gasps> person, and she straight up flew home two days later. What? Because they just hated it so much. They got on that badly. Mm-hmm, but yeah. that's such an investment to go always Las Vegas. So they had no idea that there would no, be conflict. They just, she just left a couple of days later. Do we have the tears to why? Like, was there a big bust up? They just, just weren't getting on, and it wasn't enjoyable for either of those two. Oh my god! I this know. is such a like so, a foreboding warning of yeah. why you need to know the person you go on a trip with. Because like, you just don't want to book on the next flight home. No, like you hear all those stories of like a boyfriend and girlfriend or whatever that go on trips like yeah. together backpacking. They book all their flights, all the hostels, and then they break up week two. It's really tragic (laughs) (laughs) you say that but with a smile on your face (laughs) laughing at the misfortune of others having schadenfreude at people who are dumb enough to travel in groups well that about sums up my past attitude toward the practice I thought that weak people well weak people travel in packs they're hiding strong people independent people yeah they travel solo Perhaps I feel and felt so strongly about this idea because of the the misconception that I felt I needed to counter. The idea that people travel solo because they have no one to go with. That they have no choice but to go alone. Ah, oh, how sad for them. But take a listen to this. I was interested in this number. Half of solo travelers, more than half, over 45, are married. Exactly. More than half of solo travelers over 45 are married. They have someone. They have someone in a legal and literal sense. Nevertheless, they choose not to travel with them. Let's listen to the extended clip. I was interested in this number. Half of solo travelers, more than half, over 45, are married. Exactly. I mean, that's a, that has to hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I can from you. Yeah, I don't need you. Exactly. Um. The hosts are surprised. They think it's funny and outrageous, even a little offensive. So why does taking time to be with yourself generate such a strong reaction in people? I'm including myself in this. Why am I so pro-solo travel? And why is the average person so weirded out by it? Look, I'll be honest, I don't really have a good reason for you. People in general form their viewpoints and then hunker down, do all they can to reinforce them. People that travel exclusively in groups, holidaying on those all-inclusive packages, are probably always going to keep on doing this. I mean, I'm also guilty of existing in a bubble. It's pretty, I don't know, lame or cringy to admit, but I follow a subreddit called Solo Travel. It's a forum exclusively dedicated to solo travellers, talking about their almost universally positive and cool experiences abroad with no one but themselves. And yet, when I was planning this trip, I thought to ask my friends to come with me. Swaskit is famed for climbing, and he's a climber. I thought he'd enjoy it, and I thought I'd have a better time with him there. So, I mean, how did that shake out? So me and Finley were bouldering. Saw all these school kids coming out of a cave. <laughs> and now we're in the middle of it. And it's really scary. <laughs> oh my God. Not sure if you caught that there. Finn said it was quite bookie. We use the term a lot, so it's worth defining. It's just slang from England that means suspicious looking. What's up there? What's going on? It's stones that could fall on us at any moment, wouldn't they? You need to put like your foot up and then hold both hands on the wall. 
The crevice in the rock is just larger than shoulder width apart. It's completely pitch black, apart from the small light coming from my phone torch. Above us, massive boulders are suspended, too big to descend and crash into the cave floor. We'd spotted the gap in the cliff when a bunch of school kids just started clambering out with helmets and torches, maybe at the end of a tour. We didn't have any helmets. And I'd sent Finn ahead while I stood there at the back, holding my phone torch. Do you want to go down and just tell me what it looks like? All right, so I think it's no, I'll hold it because you need both hands. Then, in the pitch black darkness of the cave, I totally lost me in the shadows. He was sucked into the cave by by the mythological cave demon, Grootslang. Damn you, Grootslang. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. But I mean, do you think for a second that I would have gone down this dank, dark cave if I didn't have my mate with me? No way. Also, the added benefit of him being a boy, not to massively stereotype here, but it meant he more impulsively agreed to go ahead and do something dangerous and kind of illogical. What do you see? It's a long way down. Just more cave? Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to go down there. I don't like the idea of that. Okay, cool. <laughs> do you know what's scary though? <laughs> the suspended rocks? Yeah. Like, that's like, it's going to fall on you and it's going to be a, what is it, a 48 hours, the film, where he cuts his own arm off. Oh, 127. 127 hours. That's Yeah. And with that, we foxtrotted out of that cave, did a quick one-two step, uh, quicker than you could say, Groot slang. So I've been quite crass here. I've presented Bin as this piece of man meat I shooed on ahead. Go on, dear, go on, you go into the danger that I put out in front of me because I wanted to stay safe. But there's more, there's more to it than that, obviously. I really, really struggle with climbing. I've always had a massive admiration for the sport. It seems so wholesome and people seem really, really friendly. But I'm terrified of heights, like deathly terrified of them. Bien. <laughs> Bien. Ya lo tenías, era pararte. Directly after our first climb, I was to come down almost straight away. You know when tears start welling in the back of your eyes? You, you start to choke a little bit. Um, your face goes red, you can feel it getting hotter. And when you try and talk, your voice starts quivering and it's, it's embarrassing, but you can't stop it because you're so afraid. Well, that happened to me on my first climb when I was at the high, high height of uh, nine meters. <laughs> Do you know what you most need to hear at that moment? Not pity to remind you of how embarrassing you are, but your friend absolutely ripping you a new one Roasting you to smithereens. I got a good photo. Muchas gracias. 
drücke das Feuer auf ihr Bein. Du bist ein He kept this up for the whole trip. Andrea has just done the easiest part of the, the hike. <laughs> She has uh, given out quite a performance in her acting. It's pretty easy to remember how illogical your fears are when your mate is recording an audio for your podcast, blindly making fun of your lack of ability. It's pretty easy then to focus on the task at hand and without realizing it, make massive improvements. <laughs> Nice. Big things. People climb in pairs in the real sporting world, not just for security, but because the eyes on the ground can see holds that you're missing. To do it alone is just lonely and a disadvantage. Yeah, if you go to the left, I think it's easier. To the left. So basically, both your hands kind of push them over to the left, but hold on still. There's a left rocker, that rock there. Yeah, hold that. Get your both hands on that. And then if you go round it, round the other side, it's easier, round the left. Round that rock you're holding. I'd go around it if I were you, but not over it. This way? Yeah, that way. Go left. There's nicer holes. Made it to the top nearly. Very well done. Rush. I'm like, whoa! That was banging. He helps so much though. Yeah, I know, he is good. Oh my god. Vamos Finley with this one. <laughs> oh my god. That was so sick. I'm buzzing. Nice. I'm proud. That was so good. I had no idea I was going to the top. Is it higher? Than what? Has he moved it higher? Uh... Was it always that high? I can't imagine doing this trip alone. It wouldn't have been nearly as much fun and I wouldn't have improved so drastically. But don't just take my word for it. Over the last year and a half, I've come to realise how important it is to have climbing partners that you both trust and ones that you find to kind of push you to that next uh, level slash limit that you didn't think was possible. This is just a little talk, a YouTube vlog from a small channel called Vertical Living. You know, you need, you need to have someone that's constantly there pushing you forwards and uh, trying to make you a, a better climber, per se. And I think it's that group environment as well that makes climbing such a unique sport and it's this constant, uh, you know, this, this nurturing environment behind having a group of climbers and going outside and, you know, having fun and everyone trying to push each other to do things. And uh, I think that's what makes the sport um, so unique. I don't think I could say it better myself. At the very least, I don't think I would have had nearly as much merriment alone. Mulling over and talking about how much Sweska looks like it belongs in the fantasy mythical world of Lords of the Rings. Welcome to Lunch Down by the River with Andrea and Finlay. Hello. <laughs> uh... Very secluded. Yeah. Very Lord of the Ringsy, the hot the shy. I feel like every part of it is Lord of the Ringsy. Like when we were walking in the little path, mm. it was the Hobbit scene, and we did exactly what you're not meant to do, which is go off the path. Go off the path. 
This is like the Shire where Do you think? Frodo's reading his book at the first Oh, scene. yeah. And he hears Gandalf coming. I think some plants are a little bit too tropical. Like, look at this broadleaf plant and all the little bugs on it. Yeah, it's supposed to be tropical, though. Is it? But it's like only a little bit more tropical because, like, we're so high up. Yeah. That most of the nature hits. It's not as jungly. Yeah. It's more like these plants could be living in England. You can see some of them. A lot of them, yeah. Not the scopolamine. <laughs> <laughs> no. The Great Open Countryside I'm a city girl, but I'm not just from any city. I was born and raised in the best city in the world, London Town. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. Lovely for man, two for There's no place on earth that can compare with London. It might be a little bit expensive, but hey, don't worry about that, forget that. Here's the thing. It's very easy to brag and pretend that where you happen to be born is the best place on earth. It's easier than travelling to every corner of the globe looking for your place to fit. But London is not the best city on earth. There is no best city. It's all so hideously subjective. Although I will say, of all the countries I've lived in and all the cities I've visited, none have ever actually beaten my hometown. Bogota, the capital of Colombia, where I'm currently living, doesn't even come close nor does San Juan in Puerto Rico, Malaga in Spain, or Coventry in the UK. The list goes on. No city has ever made me question what I consider home. The countryside, though, the countryside's been playing the long game when it comes to seduction. Sweska, you are beautiful in the morning. Wow. You're, you're bloody cold, but when the sun is out... What a place to live. Just cows, motorbikes, but not very many. It's just like deep countryside. This nature's making me feel a kind of way. God. Oh, I wish I could explore more of it, but today's the day we've got to go. It was the mornings that shook me. Normally, when I leave the house, I've groaned at my alarm, showered and eaten breakfast. Then, as I open the front door of my flat, my senses are utterly assaulted. Cars and motorbikes fly by five metres in front of me. My eyes flip among everything that's going on, the other people on the way to work. As I walk, I assess, noting a gap in the cars barreling down the road so I can run and cross. Inevitably, in Bogota, I pass a pile of trash and forgetting not to breathe, wince as the putrid stench fills my nose and mouth. Before long, I'm at work. I make myself a free black coffee with lots of sugar and get down to teaching. My mornings are so stressful that I need the emotional support of that coffee to recover from my trip outside. Bao in Sweska, this morning routine is totally alien. It's not a fair test. I don't have to get to work. We do have plans, somewhere to be, a wall to climb. Out here, one of the first things I do after piling on my coat 
to brace the cold and making my mug of green tea is to walk around in the grass outside the hostel and breathe. And I'm just walking around the hostel now. It's in the middle of the countryside. It's not even in town. I'm such a city girl because I'm going on and on and on about how much of... <laughs> how much I'm in the countryside I'm just obsessed with it you can breathe the air purely and I'm literally just walking around now in like grass and this morning I was super angry because this cow kept waking me up going but you know now that I saw him on my way into town I was like how beautiful I am well aware of how much I'm romanticizing the countryside the grass is greener on the other side, comes to mind quite strongly. You can tell when I talk about loving the place, I really have very little clue at all what I'm talking about. So we're in Sueska. It's the deep, deep countryside. <laughs> there's a cow. There's That's a sheep, right? Uh, yeah, that's a sheep. <laughs> there are three that's sheep. <laughs> you can't knock my excitement. But bloody hell, I had to check what a sheep was. <laughs> and our hostel dog is just going on a walk with us. It looks beautiful though. What are we going to do? Forests, hikes, climbing. bouldering, climbing. The hostel is lush. No, There's like climbing. people woke up at 7am to do yoga, even though we made quite a bad impression on them last night by asking them to shut up. <laughs> but hopefully it'll be good. Waking up at 7am to do yoga and meditate in the morning sun. That train of thought is so alien to me that if you do this, I will low-key believe you are infinitely better than the rest of us. That you probably exist on some superior plane of just permanent oneness. And there's just mountains and mountains and hills and hills. Just, oh, look at the little chihuahua. <laughs> I mean, seeing animals pop out of nowhere, left to their own devices without an owner or a collar, is something us city folk are not accustomed to seeing, aside from the occasional gutter or sewer rat. Here's the thing. I am firmly aware of how out of touch I am with actual countryside living. I go for weekend trips, fall head over heels in love, and then in my mind convince myself that I'm lost in the city and should go build a life in the great outdoors. I could live in the countryside and I'd be great at it. But that's because you're from the city. This is a phone call I had with my good friend Hannah. She's from Norwich, this tiny town in the middle of nowhere, England. But she's recently moved to London. I knew, knew that I was romanticising the countryside. So I called her to set me straight. This is like, you know when you watch The Holiday? Yeah. You're like Emma and Diaz, right? She's like, oh, we're at a nice house in the countryside. And then she gets there. And apart from Jude Law, it's pretty boring. <laughs> so seriously, all she does is get drunk and have a bath. And then she's like, now what? That's what living in the countryside is. You just fantasise about it because you're from the city. And it's all so overwhelming and there's not enough oxygen. And then you get to the countryside. There's so much oxygen, but there's cool out. That is literally me so much. I think I've mentioned in my podcast like five times, like, wow, I love to breathe. <laughs> it's so nice to go to the countryside and be able to breathe. Ah. That's the first thing I, I picked up on when I, when I listened to your first podcast. I was like, Jesus Christ, can you hear yourself? Everyone needs a friend like Hannah because not only is she the funniest person I know, but she also knows how to keep a girl humble. 
I did push back though. I wanted some solid reasons as to why I would go mad in the country as she had. Everyone's racist and <laughs> oh, phobic. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. They're not vegans. They're not vegan. Everyone eats meat. They all shoot animals. They f*** their cousins. <laughs> Seriously, there's a girl I know that is dating her first cousin. Oh, my God. And don't forget the guy who has three ears. <laughs> Obviously, take what Hannah's saying with a bucket of salt. Not everyone from small towns and villages are racist, sexist or incestuous. Even so, the culture of life in big cities such as London is undoubtedly distinct from the lifestyles of those in villages. I love nature, especially after being deprived of it in my childhood. But it doesn't automatically equate that I'd love living in a small town. There's a t-shirt and it's just the writing on the chest in bright purple. My mind is up on the mountains. It's so <laughs> That's me after I go away for a weekend. I'm like, I belong in the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> so after this very drastic reality check, I'm not going to pack up all my belongings just yet and move into a shack in the woods. Not to say I won't ever move. Maybe one day, sooner or later. But for now, I'm happy bopping about, travelling to new places, squishing myself into dark caves and climbing up mystical rocks. Falling in love with cows. Oh my God, there's a cow. But also exploring the metros and histories of cities. Eventually, I'll wind up where I'm supposed to. And if not, at least I'll have made a good podcast about it all. And that is the episode for today about and inspired by Suesca in Colombia. You've been listening to Wherever Island, an independent production created by me, Andrea Lucia Peters. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do this and I would profoundly appreciate as we are such a tiny program. Firstly, you could share the podcast with friends and family. Go wild. Drop the Spotify link in a group chat. It really does help to receive recommendations from people you know, and trust so this is really essential secondly you can leave an itunes review this lets people know that you've enjoyed the show and i promise to read out any good reviews here on the podcast you can make fun of me make fun of the show say anything funny witty or interesting and i will read it out right here so do that if you want to be immortalized on this program if you don't want to do any of that but would like to see behind the scenes photos videos or thoughts head to the social media this podcast is at Grove Island on Twitter and Instagram. For this week's episode, there'll be a bunch of really, really embarrassing photos from when I started crying nine meters up on my first attempt at rock climbing out here in Sweska. This, I mean, this is really embarrassing to share. It's a hit to my ego, but I thought it would be funny for people to get a visual into how, how much of a weakling I am when it comes to heights. Anyway, there's also a website, whereverisland.com, where you can check out the show notes for this episode and for every episode. And that, that is a wrap. Tune in next week. As usual, I've not planned out where it is that I will be going. Who knows wherever I might land. Thank you. <laughs>